Who is it? Yeah. You're listening to the Claim the Throne Blodgecast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be in a do-it-yourself metal band in 2016. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Steady. Kim. 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 Welcome back to the Claim the Throne Blodgecast. It's been a while, but we're stoked to be chatting to you again. My name's Cabba, and I'm here, as always, with my mate Ash, the drummer. How are you, Ash? <laughs> good, mate. How are you? You just said Pretty you were good. good. Man, you need to start listening to me. Agreed. What's the crack? Uh, the crack is that I'm sitting here chatting to me, mate Cabba, on the Claim the Throne Blodgecast uh, <laughs> over a drink of water, doing a little bit nice. of editing on Pro Tools. Sweet. Um, well, today we're going to talk about uh, one thing, being that uh, our new album has been fully written almost, and uh, we're pretty much going to be recording that over the coming three or four weeks. We'll hit into recording mode, so we'll talk about uh, all, yeah, all the writing and how that's been going, and then we're also going to chat about uh, Patreon, the uh, new, well, newish funding platform that we've actually also discussed previously episode 42 i think if you go back and uh, take a listen for the nitty-gritties but it is um hitting the australian metal scene pretty hard at the moment hit a few nerves of people lots of uh, debates and shit going on so we're just gonna have our take on that as well does that sound about right to you sounds good cool man how's the new album sounding sounds good <laughs> uh yeah sounding okay man um yeah we did our month at the hen house rehearsal rooms went there Fuck, it was four weeks and we went there like almost every day for a while. And um, yeah, when went in being able to jam a couple of songs as a band, came out being able to jam 11 as a band with tweaks done to most of them or at least solidified a bunch of the parts. And yeah, it's pretty exciting with how far it feels we progressed in that month and certainly feels like it was worthwhile. What about you? Hell yeah. yeah, it was very productive and uh, even just from, you know, we have this room that we can go into 24-7 with our own key and everything, so that just means leaving all your gear set up so you can rock up anytime you're ready, you don't have to waste your time setting your shit up, you don't have to end jam by packing away your car, so it's just sort of in, get cracking straight away, no messing around, straight to it, no stress, really chilled out, got to hang out with me mates, um, ate lots of chips mm. drank a lot of beer uh, and i just yeah i feel the whole songwriting process has been awesome so we've got um you know we had all the songs written up on the wall with a, a tick list so as we demo a song that gets a tick off as we do the tabs we tick it off once we're happy with the structure tick off uh lyrics written mm, they're not all done yet but there's a few ticks going on uh, and then just comments. So as we sort of plan through them, there's no rush or anything. We just stop when we need to fix up little structural bits that could do with improvement. And so it was just nice to have that um, bit of flexibility and, and time, I guess, to really improve the songs before we hit the studio, which uh, is a, a first for us. So it's bloody nice. Yeah, I feel we're so far ahead before hitting the studio than we've ever been before. Um, previously, we've had this amount of material recorded, but... We couldn't all necessarily play all the songs. So that's the real first about it. And also it's been good to, as we've talked about in the past also, to react to the music while playing it several times. So trying different things out, um, just even as a drummer, it's been good to, oh, that fill was really crap or that beat's kind of not working. And just being able to try stuff without the sort of thought like, oh, we're only going to have time to play this song once or twice tonight and then we don't jam till next week. Um, yep. Yeah, it's cool to just, yeah, to have the flexibility. So, yeah, really enjoyed it. I think uh, my takeaways from it, though, are that this kind of idea for us, we took it on short term for one month, um, but I think it's the perfect sort of thing that if two bands can share a space, that it would work out very cost-effective. Um, you could each jam three nights a week, for instance, and have the time off or, you know, one band might be available more often during the day and the other during the night. And that way you sort of don't feel bad having um, a space you're paying for just sit there if you do need a night off. And believe me, you just do sometimes. It's like anything. And yeah, also, uh, just from a drumming perspective, like I kind of copped a little bit of maybe an injury in my wrist in the sort of getting into the second week there and I kind of played through it and made it a little bit worse. So 
that made things challenging towards the end and I've since had a bit of physio on it but I think that's a result of pushing it because I felt bad leaving this room when really I should have just taken some time off like a, a night or two and come back to it so yeah what about you what are your takeaways from the whole thing yeah overall all positive in that but um it, it did kind of feel like a long time because the first week we were sort of really excited. We were in every day, like literally I would be there like 15 minutes after I finished work and just practicing guitar and uh, or doing some tabs or whatever I needed to do, um, which is great because you go in there, there's no distractions. If you try and, well, if I try and do that at home, I end up doing all sorts of other things that I shouldn't be doing. Um, so it was, yeah, nice from in that regard um but yeah just going all out and then i guess after a few weeks in you sort of start getting all creative out yeah for lack of a better way of putting it um so yeah i don't know perhaps it's good doing it for like a couple of weeks at a time like maybe you could do it um you know a couple of weeks when you first start the writing process of the new album then you do it a couple of weeks just before the end of the writing process so that you can really um tighten everything up um or like you say split it with another band and then you don't have to be going in every day you can sort of you know go a few days here and there or you know once on the weekend split the costs i think that's a really good idea as well and probably something that we'd look into Mm. at another point in time i think for us it was like three weeks would have been utterly ideal um, because the fourth week was a bit of a drag because everyone was worn out like you say you had to actually go over east at the end of it um dorshan was in and out a bit and you know the commitments did actually get in the way a little bit um, for the last week but it was still worthwhile because we had a few more jams and yeah like I said that last day was really cool when we played all the songs we've written top to bottom and just as a band it was it was really fucking cool yep and so we got what like 70 to 80 minutes worth of new material I'd say of course we do less <laughs> yeah, of course we do so we're going to be having to cull a few I think um, we don't really want to have another Forged in Flame where it just goes on and on and on and on yeah. for like over an hour. I think that's probably a bit overkill. Um, but it's, yeah, it's nice being able to pick and choose, I guess, what the most appropriate songs will be for an album. Overall, they're sounding a lot heavier, I think, all the songs. Um, but it's hard to really know of how things sound sometimes until once recording really begins. Um, and you can, I don't know, sort of hear all the different layers of keys or... Uh, different guitar melodies and vocal ideas and all that sort of thing. But overall, it sort of feels where Fortune Flame left off, I guess. So still heavy, still that folk metal element there. Um, yeah, it's almost a, a lot more stripped back and to the point, but also also still epic and, and complicated at times and that sort of stuff. Yeah? Yeah? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was just listening to episode 49, which I still haven't released, um, just editing it together before we started say, this Cash. podcast. And on that one, we were just about to go into the room. We also had this problem where the studio we wanted to book for drums was closing down um, and we were in the throes of finding another suitable venue with engineer Al Smith from Bergerk Studios at the helm. And we've since made a decision uh, to book three days at Underground Studios in Burragoon. Um, we've heard a lot of cool sounding stuff come out of there and they've got the right kind of gear and I reckon the right kind of room um, at about the right kind of price. So <laughs> we're going to go in there in three weeks' time, get drums down, and from then on throughout April, we're going to track the bulk of the album just between our different houses. Um, we've We've looked at the sort of three main houses of the band members and um yeah made decisions on which space would be more appropriate for which instrument and yeah made a bit of a rough plan at a band meeting last week and we're pretty confident that um the whole album will be sort of casually recorded throughout april and finished up i don't know by end of end of may early june would be on schedule at the moment, but who know, who knows what happens with these things. But fortunately for us, um, we set the schedule, so we're a bit lucky there. <laughs> for sure, as long as we don't slack off and, and keep on top of it, I think we'll be fine. Um, 
And I guess yeah, over that period of time, we'll also be working on all the other stuff, your album titles and album artworks and label shopping and all the other behind-the-scenes things. So there probably won't be any sort of press releases or announcements or anything on it for a good few months still, um, but pretty confident it'll be ready to be released midway through the year. Uh, and yeah, excited to get something new out, start playing some gigs again. Yeah, and we've talked about labels and, and what we want to do with the record on recent episodes. You can go back and listen on the Clemens Room blog. Blah, 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 blah. But um, yeah, ba- that kind of segues nicely into this whole talk of money and stuff. Um, our attitude towards labels has kind of been, we we do want to venture into the European market and we feel that possibly having a label will provide uh, kind of someone vouching for us over there to provide us entry to certain bills or festivals or or tours that we might want to jump on Um, but on the other side of that since we've had some success um, doing self-booked things throughout Asia and in the US um, we might take that avenue if we don't get any label support this time around so yeah that leads us to Patreon and the stuff that's going on now about it Cabba do you want to do the brief rundown of what Patreon is? Yeah, I don't want to bore everyone with the specifics, but it's essentially, I think everyone at this point in time knows what crowdfunding is, Um, but this is more of a quote-unquote subscription-based type crowdfunding, so um, the way that we're going to be talking about it today is it does give you an option um, to do monthly subscriptions. So, and it's for all sorts of artists, not just musicians, you know, it's, um, there's a lot of podcasts on there, uh, yeah, a variety of artists and, um, they'll say, uh, pay a, you know, pledge to the artist, uh, pay a certain amount per month. Maybe it's five bucks, maybe it's 10 bucks, maybe it's 20 bucks, depending on the different reward level. And then whichever one you, uh, sign up for they will um, provide you with all the content as per listed in that reward. Um, From a musician's perspective, they could do something like, say, $10 a month, and that will give you access to uh, to, uh, behind-the-scenes sort of stuff on the band. So it might be additional videos, it might be um, articles, it might be Skype chats, it might be emails, it might be anything keep you in the loop of what the band are doing and you get to have a bit of a say in, in your recommendations in that regard. Uh, you get to hear about news first, so you might get the first chance to to pre-order a, a new album or exclusive access to shirts that other people wouldn't normally get. It's just a way of sort of differentiating you from the standard fan who's not paying a subscription, essentially. Um, and I've seen a few... Uh, comparisons to uh, subscriptions for like sport teams for example so you sign up to be a member of the west coast eagles and um, you don't really get anything you get to go to all the games um, and then you get you know exclusive access to information as it becomes available and you know you're first in line for certain things but you have to buy the ticket still right well that would be the difference i guess yeah i don't know i haven't looked i'm sure there's different ways of that bands would do it um, I don't want to mention any specific fans as such because I've only really seen a couple that musicians have done, but um, I'd assume that there'd probably be higher brackets with you pay more per month that might include um, entry into gigs to see them mm. live, but I think that would probably present too many issues with, you know, depending what tour you're on, how you can't always guarantee that you'd be able to give your fans free access, uh, depending what it is. Look, that's a, that's essentially the setup, but yeah. the idea that is really struck a nerve in the, the especially the metal community at the moment, I think, is that the idea of it is to uh, look at a new way to give to pay bands a wage. So they're essentially asking for music fans to to pay the the wage like a minimum wage. Even doesn't have to be much, but it's it's well aiming for the minimum amount to just as though you would any other job, I guess. So uh, to have some sort of guaranteed income uh, each month so that the musician doesn't have to work a day job as such. Um, they just be- get to become a full-time musician so they can focus all their time and energy on being a musician um, and they can you know, put out the best quality content that they can, as much content as they can, do a lot of touring, all that sort of stuff and not have to worry about having another job the end we're in kind of a transitory period a 
transitional period, whatever the right word is, between this kind of, let's call it the 90s uh, scene model where bands would just do anything they could to get signed to any old deal of a record label. The record label would loan the money to do a recording and would loan the money to do a tour then they'd have to pay it all back in album sales or something like that down the track. That's kind of changed because, um, yeah, the role of the CD and the recording has changed over the years where, I mean, by the sounds of it, it never actually made bands money in the first place, but now now things are online, things are easily pirated. Uh, you can stream most albums on YouTube. They pop up there the day after the album's released, etc., etc. So it doesn't seem like it's much of a sale product. It's more of a promotional tool. So, and there has been this talk, I guess, over like the last five to 10 years, as it is where the, the digital age is slowly but surely taking over. And there's no denying that album sales have dropped in terms of, you know, physically, physical CDs and, and all that. People do buy less. Um, and then slowly you've had your Spotify's and whatnot taking over where there's just far, far less money to be made for the artist um, than there was years ago. So I guess there's been lots of arguments on different ways on how to tackle that. Um, you know, do you just accept it? You use the fact that your music can be downloaded legally for free online, gives the fan, well, more fans an opportunity to hear you, I guess, um, because the doesn't matter if they're broke, doesn't matter if they can only afford uh, a, a couple of albums per month, they can actually listen to as many as they want and sort of try before you buy, I guess, is a way of looking at it. Um, there's no doubt that it is stealing from an artist, but nonetheless, do the artist just take it on the chin and then hope that they will get more fans from that occurring? Uh, that means that your concert uh, ticket entry sales and stuff will go up you get more people at your gigs because more people are aware of you. Uh, you might sell more merch because people have saved their money on all their CDs and they, they want to come along and support you in different ways. So they'll buy more shirts, uh, go to more gigs, all that shit. Um, so that's been one way of some artists have accepted it, some haven't. Um, and then you've got your other way of, which I guess is essentially what we've done in... Um, adding value and adding content and adding additional things um, to encourage people to buy your items a bit more. So whilst you can uh, download Forged in Flame illegally online for free, um, you can also get it directly from the band and get guitar tabs included with it or um, you know get album liner notes included in it or get uh, high-quality, rare pictures of the band, um, personal notes, whatever. Uh, and then we've also got these podcasts, obviously, that we're doing as well. It's just a, a way to, to better interact with your fans and just give them a bit more reason to want to support you, um, I guess. And it's something that we've been doing ever since we started, even with just differentiating ourselves. We wrote that fantasy novel with Only the Brave Returns, so you get the CD and the book package together. So if you went out and just downloaded only the Prey Return, you wouldn't get the whole shebang. You wouldn't get your book. You wouldn't get your friggin' canvas bag and G-string and whatever other retarded merch <laughs> ideas we were coming up with. Um, so that's been the other way to tackle it. And I guess now we're still obviously looking for other ways to tackle that as well. Um, and especially for bands that are still uh, eager on touring as a full-time venture so i guess ourselves we it's it's it can be hard for us to comment because we're not a band that plays 350 shows per year but we've chosen to do it um part-time because it's a variety of reasons but it's just the most practical and realistic thing to do at this point in our life but bands that are choosing to to a full-time um they always so they need to tackle the bigger expenses involved in having to go on tour in line with earning less off, um, off online downloads and all that sort of shit. So is that the current conundrum, I guess? I think it is, Cabba. And where it poses a problem is that tour is a twofold thing. You can use it as a promotional device or you can use it to generate money. Now, one obviously feeds into the other, but something like... Um, 
a large buy-on tour and just quickly by buy-on I don't mean they're paying to play but I mean to the necessary costs of making a tour happen flights accommodation um, transport etc etc these are all real costs that happen on every tour big or small if whether you play um, four hours from your house or whether you play across the other side of the world it, it's all going to cost some amount of money up front um, but you don't accept a tour travel across the world and then find out that it's going to cost your band a lot of money you are given some sort of a contract or you should it's the smart thing to do you should ask for the terms of um and your role on the tour what you'll be getting paid if you'll be getting paid at all and what is covered and what is not um and then you make the decision okay so it's, it might cost us x amount of money but this particular tour is headlined by this band who has a captive audience of x number of people we're willing to risk tens of thousands of dollars in order to put our music our product in front of this many people now that's a promotional tour the idea is then to roll that over so you make a bunch of fans and then the next time you go back to that market or the next time you release an online digital cd in the digital revolution fucking streaming network that those fans that you converted over there will then purchase that or demand you back and you can go on more of your own terms the next time because you're not this unknown band you're a band with some sort of um viable uh, uh market there to target thing is when you when you keep doing it what's the point where you don't go back <laughs> the next time what's the point where you stop incurring the hit of that much money um and and, and whose responsibility is it to pay for that so a Patreon campaign that is looking for money off fans to cover the costs of expensive touring, you, you can see how that might be seen as um, not appropriate when there are other ways of touring cheaply and when there are other things as a band that you can just sell for one fixed cost uh, to your fans. So in the past, let's say in the 90s and 2000s, you had record labels that every band was vying for. The amount of bands I can name that signed to like... Um, Sony Australia or Century Media Australia or uh, Roadrunner Australia, those kind of deals, or that of course happened across the world, but they're really aiming to just get on those labels. And the reason why is to get things like uh, tour support X to be put into their promotional network and this all this kind of stuff. But of course, you're doing all of that based on loans to the band. So even if it was a small amount, like I say small, but $10,000 to pay for a band's flights to another country, you have to pay that money back off album sales. But of course, album sales, they're an elusive thing at the best of times. Um, and yeah, most bands would never, ever be able to pay back those kind of costs. Um, I know of particularly big Australian bands who will forever be in debt as a band, not as individuals, because the band loaned money off a label to record in other countries and just said fuck it we may as well go as expensive as possible because we're never going to pay this back off album sales so let's let the label absorb the debt but so that was the risk that a label often took pumping tons of money into a band whereas diy bands and a lot of indie labels that would would do their own financial risk taking uh, by providing tour support or by putting up their own money for touring um, and that, that really hasn't changed. The only thing is, is that it's sort of moving from uh, a corporation or an entity or a group of friends in a band with Patreon onto fans to take that risk. Now it's, it doesn't seem like much of a risk, you know. No, it's not a lot of money. One buck a week, five bucks a week, whatever it is from that individual fan won't really feel it too badly out of their pocket, but they're not getting it back. This is uh, this is not an investment. This is just money that they're giving that band to help them out because they're willing to pay their wage because they're nice fucking people out there and they want to be able to help bands as much as they can. There's, there's a lot of problems that we'll encounter. Maybe not at this point because it's in such its early days, but let's say, for example, this does become a new model, right? this is the only way that bands can ever make money, what sort of problems is that going to present? How can these fans start affording 
to pay the wages of every one of their favorite bands? How do they choose which ones deserve their money and which ones don't? Mm. And you could the argument for that would be to say, well, that's what the fans decide. So yeah. their um, their favorite band is the one that they crank all the time. So that's the one they give their money to. But that's as that is as precarious a business model as the old model was anyway, because you then can't rely on someone hearing your record and then just paying you a subscription in the same way you can't rely them rely on them hearing your record and then buying it. I see other content creators um, who have done Patreon campaigns um, and I was alerted to them, one by a good friend of the show, Owen Thomas. There's a guy on YouTube called Ryan Someone Rather who is a content creator. He makes videos and they're quite well produced and they're, let's say, gear reviews or they're tips on how to mic up a guitar amp. These kind of videos that you see a lot around the place. Um, he started a Patreon campaign and now he's putting out something like three high quality produced videos a week and he's going to work on his videos. I did listen to an interview with him and he said that he's basically working a 40 hour week, sometimes more, to get these three videos out to kind of honour the pledge. Mm -hmm. Now we've just come off a month in the studio and while every band isn't the same as us, uh, we're not unlike every other band. So creating music doesn't just happen overnight creating and then recording quality music you can't you just can't churn out a quality song every single week let alone an album a month or something crazy like that so the amount of content there is a little bit different that's why when we're asking money for touring it's just it gets into hazy ground um, i also noticed that an australian magazine has said that they've been running a patreon campaign for the last two years and it's made it able for them to frequently release issues but again they're consistently releasing a product that their subscribers feel or they deem is a valuable product that's not dissimilar to me subscribing to um you know guitar world magazine or something like that it's that really is kind of like the old model as well um, but with music it's just a lot harder to say what you're actually going to do with this subscription money so are we saying it it's going to place a lot of pressure on the artist to be able to release something in a reasonable amount of time and for it to be of high quality it's there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, in that regards you can't force creativity especially in music so if you promise to put out an album uh, by x date you don't really like it you're not happy with it you've rushed it but you have to pretty much just release it anyway yeah, exactly. And and if you don't, people get upset. Take the win the Winter Sun thing as well. They yep. they released the first half of their album that they kept saying was due out any moment now, and then they said that they haven't released the second part because um, their label hasn't supported them, so they want a crowdfund. And everyone got shitty at them because they're like, "Oh my god, how long does it take to put out an album that you keep promising? And why blame other people?" But you know what? Maybe they just had off creative times they had some troubles and these things do happen um, anyone that's been in a band knows that sometimes you can write a song in five minutes and it kicks ass sometimes a song takes a fucking month and then you've got to go record it um, and then release it you can't force creativity and hey have you ever tried to write a song on a tour bus when you're touring 40 days out of the year it becomes that inception thing where you're being paid to present art to the world by going on tour you're being supported to do that, but then you're so busy fulfilling the pledge by touring that you don't have any time to create new music to tour with. So there's got to be a portion where you're at home. If the whole idea is to write music all the time, well, couldn't you work a couple of shifts and take the burden off your fans um, that way? Yeah, I feel that's exactly right. And, and perhaps, yeah, in this instance of a band on Patreon, it's going to be the product is the tour. So it's going to allow them to tour a lot more. Uh, they're going to be flat out and, and, you know, I get that. It's so hard to do when you do have a job. Even money aside, the hardest thing is getting approved time off from your job, you know, getting annual leave, convincing your boss that you're a worthwhile person to let go for a couple of months and then still have a job when you come back. That's hard. And we know from experience too, we're not just saying it's hard. Well, that's why we're a part-time touring band. Three months of a year, if we can tour awesome four months maybe wicked the rest of that time you're at home 
you're writing your new album, you're not in a rush, but you want to write the best possible album that you can. But you're not going to, you know, even if you can do it 24-7, you're not going to be creative that whole time. You may as well, like you say, be picking up a few shifts, working a little bit, saving up enough for some recording gear to record the next album, whatever it's going to be. Put some money aside for the next tour that you're going to have coming up that's going to pay for your next flight, chip in for your band. You're sweet. Not really sure what my point is there, but it's just, yeah, raising reality. A raising rate. Yeah, and it is a reality. And I find it tricky because the they're arguing the reason behind a Patreon campaign, but really what they're saying is every other industry uh, has a decided award and, and a decided wage, and there is an industry behind it that supports those people. You don't go to work for free, do you? Um, whereas musicians and artists do a lot of the time. But you also, if you are a normal dude with a day job, a mortgage and a wife and kids, you might not just willy-nilly go out and start a coffee shop um, and expect it to do well and expect it not to impact on the current life you have going. That's unrealistic. And when you're talking about fans paying for something on a regular basis that doesn't exist yet, the good faith that you are going to write a good album, well, it doesn't always work that I say, um, can you pay me now? and I will make you a coffee in six months' time. The business world doesn't work like that. So if you try and compare music as an occupation to other occupations, you've got to compare the industry to other industries. And this industry we are in is absolutely flooded. And to be a plumber, you've got to go through an an apprenticeship. Whereas with being a musician, Joe Bloggs can... put some beats together on his freaking iPhone or iPad these days and have a platinum hit. You just don't know what's out there. It's not the same as walking in and painting a wall and saying, your wall's painted, it costs this much money. Well said, Largy. And uh, yeah, I don't like the comparisons at all, you know, and just because a musician is struggling and earning absolute fuck all and some retard has an office job for $60,000 and does nothing, it, it doesn't mean that the musician isn't worth more. It's just it's just different. Um, you know, if, if we expect for artists to be given a minimum wage to be worth a certain amount, putting a dollar value on how much a musician is worth, it's it's not art anymore. That's the beauty of art is that, it, you know, it's just something that you do for love and that's where your creativity is going to be at, at the best as it possibly can. I previously had a desk job with a level of professionalism and then the company went down the stinker and I lost my regular wage and it literally within a day I found out I didn't have a job anymore as did half of my fellow employees. So I was unemployed. Guess what the first thing I did was? Was go on tour with Claim of Throne over East. Within two weeks of being made redundant, um, I was forking out uh, the money for flights. We went and did the tour. The tour did well. We came back. About a month or two later, we went on a full Australian tour with Bellacore, also a successful tour. But by that stage, I was absolutely shit broke because I could not find a job. I know that, remember those exact tours that you're talking about. And being that we're in that situation where no one really has much money, we've sort of used all the band money that we could possibly afford to help chip in for flights and um, accommodation and traveling around and, and all the, the millions of expenses that there are to go on a tour like that. It makes you look for every possible way to save money. And money for a band when on tour is an absolute precious thing. You need to be thinking outside of the square. So someone like yourself would be eating uh, two tins of tuna for a day so that you're not you know, wasting the band's money on fucking eating two meals of steak and chicken parmigiana at the pub for dinner. Um, where, you know, booking accommodation with like one or two beds for five people and just crashing on the floor or wherever we can. We're sleeping at other people's houses where we can. Uh, we're not bringing any additional crew with us. We're using as many free local sound guys and lighting guys as we possibly can. We're stealing trolleys from the airport because we can't afford $2 to rent a trolley to carry all our shitload of luggage around. We're hiding merch in different bags and shit at the airport so that we won't get lug- slugged any uh, any additional freight fees. You're looking outside of the square in every possible aspect of that tour because that's what you do as a struggling band. And as soon as you start asking for more and more and more money, all of a sudden you 
actually, yeah, that sound guy is only going to cost us about $250 a flight. Let's just chuck him on. We've got that money there. And it's just a vicious cycle and eventually you're going to be out of money again. You're going to be in the same situation. So I think regardless of how much money you have as a band, it's always going to depend on the people in the band and the way that you go about your business. And if you've got shitloads of money, but you're not careful with it, you're going to lose money. And if you've got no money, but you are really careful with it and you just know how it's going to work, you can just make it work. It's pretty scummy sleeping on a filthy ass floor in a <laughs> it's room. only for some people you know yeah, yeah jim can fucking use a goon bag as a pillow and he'll be <laughs> happy with it and we all think it's the funniest thing ever and we actually enjoy being broke half the time yeah it's i cool. assume king parrot are probably the same they're all more than happy sleeping in some drug den toothless <laughs> freak's house in nimbin for the night but it's yeah. not for everyone and i get that yeah it definitely isn't and we have our times we're like what in the fuck are we doing? We've been doing this for too long to be blah, blah, blah. But have we been doing it for too long? Is it like, it's so intangible as to what um, makes a band successful that, yeah, you've got to count your pennies. And even sometimes when you do have the money to afford things, you've got to say no to them just in the same way that if you wanted to push a regular old business that's successful in your hometown to another town, you can't just walk in there and expect to have the same successes straight away and you can't expect not to lose money if you do put a lot on the line, especially with something as intangible as art. I could go draw some pictures tomorrow. What's the Kenny versus Spenny, that TV show that I love to watch? They were, who can raise more money in 24 hours or something like that? And Spenny tries to do abstract art and he like covers himself in paint and like rubs his balls on a fucking... <laughs> um, piece of canvas and sets up a gallery invites all these people there and doesn't sell a single fucking thing because what the hell is art but some person may have done the same thing with the same attitude like oh i don't give a fuck um yoko ono makes a pile of sand in the corner and and attracts like ten thousand people no one can fucking tell you what's gonna work you know so gotta i think you gotta be a lot more realistic about this than just expecting um that people should support you, especially when I love sitting on my ass watching TV or fucking building microphones instead of actually creating music. It's funny. On the other hand, we've had these conversations and these times where we've been traveling through the scummiest sections of Asia and we've had to pay all our own flights to get there. We're getting paid sweet fuck all. We've got no rider. We're booking our own shit house accommodation and we're like, we go next time we're not doing this unless they're going to make some sort of effort to give us some form of compensation on coming out here, why would we bother? Even just a sandwich. Even just a sandwich, that's all we want. And that's true, but that's something you need to think about before you go, or it's a learning curve for next time. And and that's always my argument. When we're sitting backstage at a gig supporting some band in Asia and they've got a huge rider of sandwiches and beers and we're sneaking out to the local 7-Eleven to buy our own dinner and own water. We're going, what the fuck's going on? But the thing is, we we agreed to that before we went, you know. We were happy for a little shitty support act fee and we've just got to back ourselves that we're going to sell heaps of merch and stuff to cover off all the, the costs that we we had. And we, we generally do a pretty good job and, and offset a lot of costs, which I'm really proud that we're able to do. Yeah, I would say if, if those sorts of things are really important to your band, which you do deserve it, at times, then you need to be really careful about what tours you accept and really think about the conditions on which you accept tours. Um, and there's a, a variety of scenarios, you know, from everything to buy-ons to support acts to even a headlining act, who the hell knows. But they're things that you need to, to, to think about before you go on tour. And if it's not going to work for your band, then you don't accept it. You know, um, unless it's really in line with your goals as a band, if you really think you're going to make heaps of fans off that particular tour, then do it. Just be be ready to, to feel it hurt in other areas. Yeah, like a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours who plays in a band in Perth who'd only played like two or three gigs, very small, small following, basically a fresh band out of the gates. Got an email from um, a particular promoter in... Um, an Asian country and they offered them, they said, do you want this support with this very big band from Europe? It's going to cost you six, 7,000 Australian dollars just for the privilege to be on the show. And then this guy asked me for advice, would you do it? And I said, 
No, I wouldn't because I can't afford $7,000 just to play a show and then pay for flights and accommodation and all the extra tour stuff on top. And I said, how can you even consider that? He said, man, to be honest, I don't have that much time at the moment. My work's pretty busy. I reckon I can afford that kind of money. And I think it'd be great to play five shows with that band just as an experience. And then to that, I had absolutely no comeback and said, if that's what you want to do, do it. Because to you, you've summed up the value and what you'll get out of it. And in that case, the financial high cost to me wasn't wasn't that high to him. So whatever, so be it. And I mean, there are a lot of bands that don't take themselves that seriously, I guess, in that regard. And they're happy to go over for one tour and blow away their money and have a wicked time and come back and just chill after that. But I guess if you're a band that wants to continue touring and touring and touring you really need to think about where your money is going. And, you know, if you do one of those tours where it's going to cost you thousands and thousands of dollars, it could be a really good investment. You make a really good impression. You make heaps of new fans. You impress the promoters. You impress the venues, whatever, and then you get offered back for more tours. Next time around, you'll be getting a better deal. They'll be paying you instead of you paying them, and then you'll be getting treated properly. Your expenses and should be covered eventually if you do it right and you're patient and, you know, just keep working your butt off. So, I don't know. There's just lots of things to think about, and these are just the realities of the music industry. And Yeah, I enjoy it too, and... We talk about the realities of the music industry and one of the big arguments is one of the last big things that I'll bring up that is mentioned quite a lot about this whole scenario is that the the music industry is changing and it's totally true. We touched on piracy and things like that before and but I think that that old touring model and I call it old is also left over from, from this previous business model that's changing. We have the internet now and our US tour is a pretty good example of Cabra especially, who put in a shitload of work meeting someone online from a local band, one in Canada, we're talking to some people in the US as well, and spoke about what band, what folk metal bands are in um, your area, let's connect with them, what promoters do you guys use for gigs, what venues are good, and start building a profile and building a plan, and it, t- it took 12 months um, to happen, but w- we got it to happen, and when we went there, it was like our most successful tour we've ever done and it was in a country that we've never really pushed into before at all and you know it did as good as any domestic Australian tour if not better so that's a pretty huge thing like maybe that's the change in the industry and we only played to like 80 people on average a night and still did well on merch still did well off show payments kept costs down by hiring an rv instead of like a bus or nightliner yeah yeah, it it stayed on the rv instead of staying in hotels crashed in people's houses and had showers where we could um ate on the cheap bought stuff at walmart like we document all this stuff in our previous podcast about the u.s tour Um, And it can be done. And you know what? It is a little bit of work. Use the new tools available to you via the internet like analytics and see where you're selling merch. See where people are streaming you from. Um, Even if it's on free stuff, like you can put your whole album yourself online for free on YouTube and then see where people are streaming it. Connect with those people. Get involved in that scene and then go on tour there. Like it doesn't have to be this giant expensive thing, but there will always be an expense. Your goal should be to offset the impact of that expense on your band. Well put. And that that American tour of ours is definitely a, a very good example. You know, it's only really low scale shows that you're doing, like you said, maybe 80 people a show on average, if that. The people that come to see those sorts of shows just appreciate it so much more and they're so much more willing to support you and buy more of your merch and shit. We were selling more on that tour than we've ever sold anywhere, really. It looks good. You get a poster. You're headlining a tour in another country that you've completely fully self-booked your own just by sending out a bunch of emails to venues, you know, booking your own visa, booking all the support acts, um, deciding how much money you're going to get per show, making these sorts of demands before you accept, accept whatever show it is. It looks good. And in our case, we got that slot on 70,000 Tons of Metal Festival, which means that whole tour that was just going to be some shitty little local gig tour ended up being, we get to play at one of a few major global metal festivals with a bunch of bands that have inspired us and our favourite bands getting to share the stage with them and, you know, 
getting to meet tons of people and crazy networking. We've got all these contacts all across America now just because of that. Next time we go, it'll just be so much easier and cheaper and we should bring in more money. So it's just a, a long-term thing. And if you do it right, I think it'll pay off in the end. Yeah, and the risk was a lot lower to start with. Um, so yeah, to us, it kind of does seem a bit crazy. But yeah, it, it happened and it worked. And I could not believe at the end of it after doing the tour and playing 70,000 tons and sitting in Vegas in actually a nice hotel room. I don't know, just looking around, taking it in, having a drink and going, what the fuck did we just do? That was crazy. And it still didn't hit me for quite a while after how how successful that actually was for us. And I mean, that money we made off that tour and a few of our own local shows and stuff after that in the year is why we're able to release an album very soon for sure so yeah look in summary i guess i'm all for looking for forward thinking new ways of um of you know assisting musicians financially looking for a new way for the future improving scenarios and situations for bands but yeah i don't care what band you are big or small it can be done on a budget i don't care what anyone says we've done it and you know we're still going strong after 10 years just going through that cycle of playing gigs, earning enough to record an album, selling that album at a launch, saving up enough to go on your next tour, covering those expenses, earning money on tour, coming back home, writing your next album, recording the next album with the money that you made last time, and so on and so on. So all these bands that keep going broke, I don't know where the hell their money's going, but I would just say slow down and be careful and think about the decisions you're making before you go storming the globe. And that's my rhyme, and that's what I said. Beautiful, Kevin. Very enjoyable. Cool. Uh, what's next? That's pretty much all we've got. I'm sh- there's so much more we could talk about, and that was pretty disjointed and thrown all over the place, but who really cares? Um, hope someone of you got some stuff out of it that's worthwhile, and um, yeah, realize that when you do such a big thing, there is, of course, going to be criticisms, and usually they're extreme on the against or the for side, like... You know, some people are like, you fucking scumbag pieces of shit. And other people are (laughs) like, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But you'll find hovering around the middle are people who um, have been in in those sort of shoes before and have actual um, real opinions on the reality of the situation. And um, all of these things always inspire, I think, worthwhile discussion and nothing to get upset over and nothing to think that anyone's... Um, having a go at anyone in particular or anything like that but um yeah there's more than one way to look at this new music industry uh and the big changes that are happening and blah 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 and at the end of the day whatever you decide to do at the end of it is up to you um and you've got to let people have their say because fuck maybe it'll teach you something cool love it man yeah there's a lot of um well articulated well written articles um going around at the moment especially on um, on crowdfunding and yeah there's a lot, lot of opinions both ways that are really well put and i urge people to sift around for them don't be too stubborn on your opinion or whatever even though we maybe sound like we are try not to try to take a step back and really think about the, the positive and the negatives but um nonetheless just think about how it's going to affect the industry later down the track Think about how it's going to affect all of your favorite bands, you know, not just one of them. Do what your heart tells you. We've got a new site uh, up now at www.claimthethrone.com. Still uh, a lot of a lot of work to go on. It is under construction, but you know, it's going to be kept up to date a lot more than our last one was. So we're managing it ourselves now without a webmaster, which is nice. Um, you may see some strange things over the, with our, the podcasts over the next few weeks when we try to um, re-upload them and whatnot to a new um, new server or feed or whatever. But uh, we'll get there and we'll keep the podcasts coming, even if they're not as consistent as we'd like them to be. Uh, and we've got plenty of articles up there as well for uh, the aspiring DIY musicians out there, all free. Uh, we'll do whatever we can to help you. And um, if you've got any opinions on this subject uh, or just want to chat about us to us about anything at all, feel free. You can always contact us at info at claimthethrone.com. We'll always reply to you. Um, happy to chat at any time. Hit us up on social media, Facebook, whatever. You can always find us. Uh, claimthethrone.net still has a SpeakPipe link. So if you want to record uh, a message or your thoughts on anything, we're more than happy to play it uh, on the podcast. 
and we will see you around the traps very soon by playing the throne. Strong is the Sure, me.